love not typing. Not messing my Google Docs, Meeksy. Supergirl Radio is going live every night of the week. How do you <laughs> like it? Is being, becoming a human burrito a plus or a minus? I don't know. It does seem snug. I mean, they say you are what you eat. Kira. I love that. So I do a podcast called Supergirl Radio, and one of our segments is Lena Luther boardroom or ballroom. Because really? She looks like a boss in this coat. Nasty Luther, like a different Luther? It's not just Lena being mean? No. <laughs> Helen Slater here. So fun to know that you're hosting a podcast called Supergirl Radio. Welcome to Supergirl Radio, your source for all things uh, related to the character of Kara Zor-El. My name is Rebecca Johnson. I'm Morgan Glennon. And we are live and wired on the DCTV Podcast YouTube channel, the Supergirl Radio Facebook page, to discuss and review the first episode of the HBO Max at the time, but now Max original series, House of the Dragon. And we are doing this because James Gunn, who cast Millie Alcock as Supergirl in the live-action film adaptation of Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow, first became aware of her while viewing this series. And Morgan, I'll be really curious if you can spot, we'll have to talk about it, why we think that maybe James Gunn, while he was watching this, was like, ah, Supergirl. Supergirl. <laughs> I have a question. Isn't isn't uh, House of the Dragon still an HBO Is show? it? I wasn't I sure so. if, they would, if they would change it because it seemed like it was streaming. I think it's, I think it's still... HBO and then goes to HBO oh, to Max. I'm sorry. Okay. We yeah, we're just taking it to the Max. So it's so it's an original series on HBO. Airs first on television on the old on, on the, the old, old TV television. on the old TV. You remember those? Or right? <laughs> I didn't know they still did that. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it, I think it goes to uh, the HBO and then it goes to Max because I feel like in no universe would HBO give up its uh, Game of Thrones cash cow. Yeah, probably not true. even to its good friend Max. <laughs> That's probably true. Okay, well I stand corrected. We're just gonna call it an HBO original series. And that you can watch on Max, I guess, is the clarification there. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for that. Well, I guess before we get into House of the Dragon, we need to get to the news. According to Variety.com, James Gunn and Peter Safran's new DC Universe came into greater focus this week beyond the upcoming Superman legacy when Gunn confirmed that House of the Dragon breakout Millie Alcock uh, has been cast as Supergirl, a character that is getting her own superhero tentpole with Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow and who might direct the movie. No contenders have emerged yet, but X-Men First Class and Argyle filmmaker Matthew Vaughn would highly consider it as he's a self-proclaimed Superman nut. Uh, Vaughn recently appeared on Bro Bible's post-credit podcast and expressed both interest in directing Alcock in a Supergirl movie and confusion over the order of the film's development. Ah, <laughs> oh, not the only one, my dude. Uh, <laughs> Matthew Vaughn says, I'm a huge fan of Millie Alcock. Huge fan, Vaughn said met with her for this other project we're working on she turned me down which was sad uh she's a fabulous actress then again i do find it very weird that they haven't got a director that surprised me because you shouldn't cast a movie the director should be casting the movie i don't understand who cast it if there isn't a director 
<laughs> a beautiful quote. Uh, <laughs> because Gunn and Saffron are in charge of creating a new DC universe that will span films, television series, and video games, they're the ones in full control over casting at this early stage. Alcock was cast as Supergirl in the DC universe at large, and not just her standalone movie, Supergirl World of Tomorrow, the director of, w w uh, the director of which now won't have a say in casting of the title role. So uh, it, it goes on to say, um, uh, uh, I was asked about doing The Flash way back, but I said I'd only do it if I could recast. If I'm directing my own superhero film, I want my own new superhero, Vaughn added. But Millie Alcock, I probably would have put for it, for it if I was directing. <laughs> <laughs> so I haven't considered it. Never say never. I'm a big fan of James Gunn and Peter Safran. So yeah, I would consider it. <laughs> I like I like how this is. He's like, it's crazy that they're that they don't have a director and they then they cast the project. And if I was doing The Flash, I would have recast that. Oh no, but I love. Millie, I, I'd direct it with Millie. <laughs> he's gone. He, he's like slowly does the call me with his fingers, like the little finger phone. He has uh, uh, written his name on a piece of paper and folded it up and put it in James Gunn's head. <laughs> slow, sl slowly slides it across the table with like a crisp five in it. <laughs> really impressive with it. What about now? now? What about now? <laughs> he's, he, he like slowly shows his cat and he's like, we could get this in Supergirl too. <laughs> this, cat, this, this cat comes for free. <laughs> Did you read that um the that Argyle movie? The cat, the the main cat in that cat in that movie is actually his cat. Oh, apparently they the the cat actor wasn't uh good performing as as performing. needed. So he just like went into his house and grabbed his cat and was like, "Sorry, we got to borrow the cat." Okay, I have a question. Was there supposed to be a cat in the script or did he just say, I really want to put my cat in this? No, I, I think <laughs> there was always supposed to be a cat in the script. But I do respect the idea of like creating a whole project just to showcase your cat. Just be like, look, at, <laughs> look at how beautiful. Look at how beautiful my cat is. Also, Bryce Dallas Howard is here. But like, again, the cat. <laughs> <laughs> I really uh, think we should uh, make a movie with the lab cats. I agree. Beaker and Bunsen, they're <laughs> ready for their moments. They are ready for their close-up. Just today, Beaker uh, knocked, uh, Bunsen knocked a very heavy item off of my desk that shattered. Uh, oh, so no. <laughs> I'm sorry to laugh. I'm sorry. To laugh. He's ready for I need to completely shut. I had this like big, heavy, like, like bookend of like an owl on the end of my desk. That sounds really nice. He, it was really nice. And he, <laughs> he was trying to bat at something and he started to, he tipped over and then he realized he was falling off the desk and he flailed his arms about to try to grab purchase. And he did, but it was the, it was the huge, heavy uh, bookend. And oh, no. both it and him went over the corner. Uh, and thankfully, it did not land on him, uh, which would have been probably a vet bill for me. Yeah. And, like, the little the little owl's ear just like cracked off. And I was oh. <laughs> so anyway, oh. what I'm saying is like action adventure. They're ready for you. <laughs> they do their own stunts is what I'm telling you. <laughs> okay. We'll have to write a script for Beaker and Bunsen. I think they're ready to go. I think uh, so too. I saw in the chat, uh, Mind the Gap says, Matthew Vaughn had a pitch for a Superman film series with Mark Miller 
And it sounded weird. <laughs> I remember Matthew Vaughn having his name tied to Superman at one point, but I, th- I always thought that was like a fan cast that people wanted him to take over after Zack Snyder or, or take over from Zack Snyder. And yeah. uh, so people have always like tried to get him on a Superman movie, which I don't think would be bad, but uh, I think I'm, I've seen he's a very competent director. Yeah, I've seen so I've seen the X Men movie. I didn't see, and I haven't seen Argyle, but it just came out. But I haven't seen. He had another film, right? That was like the Kingman or the uh, the Kingsman. Yeah, I Kingsman. haven't seen that, but I've always wanted to watch them. It looks fun. Movie. Yeah, yeah. So I think he uh, he's very uh art like he has a style. He's an auteur. He has a style to him. Um, so I don't think he would be a bad choice for Supergirl Woman yeah. tomorrow if James Gunn accepts his. $5 bribe. <laughs> I think he would be a very confident, good director. We already know that he's chill with the Millie uh, casting choice. So <laughs> there you go. You got that. Well, people were uh, making that out to be a really big deal, but I personally don't think it's a big deal because James Gunn was casting for his movie. If uh, Supergirl's in his movie, then he should be able to cast her. That's that's the quandary of the shared universe because you have to share that casting. Those people have to, you can't just cast a new flash for your own flash movie. (laughs) It exists within a universe. You have to use the flash. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not like the concept of spinoff movies is like a new thing. (laughs) Like some, there have been movies that have other directors have taken over where like the cast is, what the cast is i feel like it's not it's a little weird but it's not like completely outside the realm of what usually happens yeah when george lucas stopped directing star wars they weren't like we got to get into a it in. <laughs> no yeah <laughs> sorry mark hamill <laughs> right, we're gonna have to take you out of this one <laughs> we, we gotta put our own mark on it you know what i mean yeah, you <laughs> just like slowly mis- push harrison ford out of frame <laughs> Because I'm pretty sure if I remember my Star Wars trivia, George Lucas directed the first one, but then he was so stressed out on the first one that he gave it to another director. I cannot remember who directed oh, Empire really? Strikes Back. Who directed Empire Strikes Back? Look that up because I'm pretty I sure it was a different. Looking it up. It was a different uh, director. Yes, yes, you are correct. Uh, it was directed by Ir- Irvin Kirshner. Kushner, yes. I couldn't yeah. remember if he directed or wrote it. He might have done both. I can't he, remember. Uh, it says it was directed by Erwin Kushner with a screenplay written by Lawrence Kasdan. La Kasdan, yes. Okay, all these names are like flooding back into me. Um, but it's like, uh, you know, George Lucas, he he casts all the, the main cast of Star Wars, but when Kushner comes in, he can't just throw Mark Hamill out for Empire Strikes Back. It's kind of a big deal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, I know you want to like uh, like have your own people and like feel good about the casting, but like at a certain point, you know, you just kind of got to roll with it. <laughs> <laughs> and and to bring it to a DC Comics uh, level in the Snyderverse, Zack Snyder cast uh, Wonder Woman, The Flash, Cyborg, and Aquaman because they were all featured in Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. So he was able to do that. And so Patty Jenkins had to use Gal Gadot because she was the Wonder Woman at the time. James Wan had to use Jason Momoa's Aquaman because he was Aquaman at the time. That's just how that goes with the shared universe in film. You just have to embrace the actors as they were. But Zack Snyder, I I will say to his credit... 
he uh, he only did sort of prototype suits for a lot of those characters so that the character, the directors who took on their solo films would have the opportunity to design the suits that they wanted to design them uh, as and do all the things, you know, like uh, Patty Jenkins was able to have Wonder Woman fly in her films, you know, that kind of thing. So um, so that though there were opportunities for those directors to make those characters their own, but the casting was already set in uh in motion by that time so i don't think it's really weird that james gunn cast supergirl i would think it's weird if james gunn cast ruthie that, that i would weird. have an yeah. issue yeah i kind of wish they had been cast at the same time director out <laughs> yeah yeah the the director needs to be able to the director of supergirl one of tomorrow needs to be able to cast ruthie krim uh any of these sort of side characters i guess if they have a man as comment, you know, at some point, <laughs> they need to catch that horse at the very. <laughs> you got to get that horse. So, um, I think I don't think it's as big big of a deal as people are mentioning, but it is interesting that Matthew Vaughn is kind of throwing his name in the ring, of wanting to direct. Well, uh, speaking of Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow on Instagram, uh, the artist for that series, Bill Kisuffley. Posted news about a deluxe edition of the series. Bilkis, Bilkis, Bilkis wrote, quote, Our Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow, the deluxe edition cover, uh, colors by Matt Lopez. Uh, and she also writes, uh, besides a very requested hardcover, this new edition will bring some ex some sweet extras. Never seen script by Tom King, art studies, sketches, work in progress, uh, wonderful remastered colors, and more. And it looks like uh, we're going to be getting this on July 23rd. Ooh. So I've already got the digital version. I've got trade paperbacks, multiple copies. And you know what? I'm going to buy this deluxe edition. I think I'm just going <laughs> to have to over the money for it. I mean, I'm YOLO, you only live once. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as I saw it, I was like, uh, bought and uh, bought. <laughs> Can I go um, ahead and pre-order it? I don't know. I'm just going to go ahead and uh, hand you my money. <laughs> <laughs> and I love the cover, too. It's so cool. Yeah, so I'm excited about that. So if you like Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow, we get a new deluxe edition of it uh, releasing on July 23rd. Nice. Uh, and speaking of Supergirl news, uh, Helen Slater took to Instagram to congratulate Millie Alcock being cast as Kara uh, Zorel in Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow. Slater posted, congratulations to the luminous Millie Alcock, the next Supergirl. The DC Universe awaits you. You will be amazing. Yeah, that's really nice that she uh, took it upon herself to celebrate all of the the ladies who played Supergirl in live action uh, with Vandevoort and uh, Melissa Benoist and Sasha Kajay. So, uh, you know, the the OG Supergirl in live action uh, honored all of them. So I thought that was really cool. And she mentions uh, 40 years. What she's talking about is 40 years of Supergirl, the movie, which is Ooh. celebrating its fourth decade. So. We will have to find a way to honor the 40th year of Supergirl, the movie here on Supergirl Radio in 2024 somehow. Uh, we've already done a big recap of the movie. We've done a debate about the movie. <laughs> so we'll have to find a new, fresh way into Supergirl, the movie this this time around. But we're going to celebrate it somehow. Yes, I feel <laughs> like you it have ideas, send <laughs> them to us. <laughs> <laughs> so we will work on that. Okay, well, I guess we should uh, get started talking about what we came to discuss, which is 
uh, we're doing a pilot pod of House of the Dragon, which is, as Morgan told me, an HBO original series uh, streaming on Max. So there's only one season so far. From what I understand, there's going to be a season two. So uh, if you're a fan of the show, uh, I guess you have that to look forward to. So I guess the the first thing maybe we should talk about just to set the groundwork. Uh, Morgan, what is your relationships uh, relationship to the Game of Thrones universe? Did you watch the series? Uh, hold hold on one uh -oh. second. I've, uh -oh. I've got I've got a prop. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I can't. I can't wait to I'm see. Trying what this to, is I'm trying to. I'm trying to maintain oh, the element it's a, it's of a surprise. surprise. I'm so the excited. Element of surprise here. Uh oh. Okay. Okay. <laughs> oh wow! That I, is I, I clearly I hate it. Game of Thrones, <laughs> uh, and that's why I have Daenerys riding this beautiful dragon here. <laughs> That's her on top. She's like, hey, what's up? And uh, <laughs> this is uh, literally like on the thing that into my entryway because it's well, it's huge is the thing. So I, I don't know where it's else big. I would put it. This was a this was a present. I think this was like a Valentine's Day present from Mike at one point in our in our lives. But uh, the point is that obviously I am a fan of Game of Thrones, a uh, big fan of the dragons. This little guy right there. Does uh, that dragon very, have a name? Is there, is that a particular dragon? It definitely does have a name, Rebecca. And the thing is that <laughs> I'm. I'm a fan of Game of Thrones, but it's turning out maybe not a, a great fan of Game of Thrones because <laughs> I can't remember his name. But he was great. <laughs> Love him. Uh, I think she had three in Game of Thrones. I think she had three dragons. Um, and I can't remember all of their names. One was like Drogon, which honestly just feels lazy from a writing perspective. <laughs> Drogon. <laughs> this is my dragon, Drogon. <laughs> Sir. George. No. <laughs> now I'm gonna like look up Game of Thrones. Yeah, that's dragon what I'm doing names. Too. <laughs> what if I'm just making this up? I'm like shaming them for no reason. I like Drogon the dragon. <laughs> okay, I'm not I'm not making it up. Drogon is the real dragon name. And then there's like oh, I can never uh Viserion, I think was another one. And then there was like Ragel. Regal. I can't remember how to pronounce them is the thing because all the Game of Thrones names are like a little bit wild and then there's just like Drogon. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, like Dro I like Drogon because you could replace it with any um uh like uh you could you could say uh Drogon the dragon. You could. you could, you know, you could you could uh, change it up just with that <laughs> one letter and it'd still be kind of lazy, but it's a different name. Yeah, it's totally it's totally dragon with an e. Totally different. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, so I uh I started watching Game of Thrones when it first came out. Uh, and I was like, what is this show? And then I was like, this show's crazy. And then obviously it blew up and everybody was watching Game of Thrones and we were all having a great time. And then as the show went on, we were having a great time. And then we were having like a little bit less of a great time, <laughs> like a little bit less of a great time. And then it ended and it was not um, I, not my favorite ending uh, that I've ever seen. Uh, so I felt like <laughs> when I heard the announcement about House of the Dragon, I was like, kind of in a place where I was like, you know what? Fool me once, right? Shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. I'm right. out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> because I really did not uh, enjoy the way that uh, Game of Thrones ended. 
But during its prime Game of Thrones years, I was a big fan. I thought it was a great show. I liked all the all the performers. I liked the story. I thought it was when it was like really good. It was really good. So I at least I came into this with like a knowledge of the Game of Thrones universe. And I was I was excited to do this pilot pod because Game of Thrones is like notoriously like you need a flow chart. You need a family a diagram and a history. You need them like the old the Game of Thrones uh, used to have its um, opening credits, which are awesome, used to be the map of Westeros and you kind of needed it because like you were like <laughs> where are they talking about and sometimes they were like you suddenly you'd be in a different place you were like where's Dorne and then in the <laughs> opening credits it would be like Dorne and I was like oh Dorne's over there okay got this. I got this uh, but <laughs> a Game of Thrones was a very very complicated in terms of like the houses and the backstories and these people and those people and house of the dragon is not quite as bad as game of thrones was because game of thrones had all of these like rival houses from different parts of the country and like the story took place in a bunch of different locations so you'd have to remember like oh god we're at the wall oh no like we're, we're back in king's landing uh whereas this seems to take place at least from what i've seen mostly in like one location with like one family which i will get into it later but i feel like actually is weirdly a hindrance to this show like <laughs> i feel like the world of game of thrones was much larger immediately than the world of this show where it's just kind of feels like uh you're sort of listening in on some family squabbles that you don't want to be involved <laughs> with <laughs> yeah it focuses on house targaryen which means mostly nothing to me because <laughs> i did not watch game of thrones so i don't know anything about uh the dragons and the people so, who rode them so danny uh, yes, daenerys okay. targaryen from game of thrones who's one of the main characters she's a targaryen and game of thrones takes place like I think a couple hundred years after House of the Dragon. But their big thing was that they had these little guys. They had these little dragons. That's kind of why they were in charge. Uh, but then eventually, like, the dragons started dying out. And as you can imagine, when you no longer have, like, a little cute fire-breathing pet, <laughs> people don't take you as seriously. Uh, <laughs> and they sort of lost power. Spoiler alert for 100 years in the future of House of the Dragon. I don't know why you would watch it if you weren't that into the universe. But uh, when we start in Game of Thrones, Daenerys here is in exile because the Targaryens have been kicked off the throne. Uh, because the former king went mad. Oh, uh, that's the mad <clears throat> king that probably, they mentioned. Yeah, that's probably all probably all that inbreeding. Um, mm, yeah, probably. Uh, <laughs> Notorious, the incesty, those Targaryens. <laughs> and so, so she, uh, they kind of flee with her, and I believe her brother in the first season, uh, and they're sort of not in King's Landing, sort of that main part of Westeros. They're sort of out in the, uh, out, in exile uh and it's all about her being like this is my throne and like <laughs> coming back she's got some dragon's eggs that's how she ends up with her three little buddies oh. uh yeah yeah so, i guess that would be how that happens so house of the dragons they have dragons right off the bat so that's exciting <laughs> uh, in game of thrones you wait through like a whole season and you're like watching those dragon eggs like <laughs> When are they coming? When are they coming? <laughs> uh, spoiler alert, they do hatch. That's how she gets her buddy drug on. Yeah. But uh, 
and at one point in Game of Thrones, they're like baby dragons. Rebecca, they're baby dragons. They're so cute. They like I ride on her. Dragons. They like ride on her shoulder. <laughs> <She's> like, <"Hello." laughs> and I was like, that's the dream. That's that's what I've always wanted. <laughs> just a bunch of baby dragons to I guess feed meat to or whatever. Uh, so that's sort of the backstory about like that's kind of all I knew too going into the show is like this is about the Targaryens sort of before they lost power. Um, when they were still in charge and the dragons were still somewhat plentiful as we see in this show. Um, and that's sort of how they kept power. And that's sort of only the, in some ways that's kind of the only game of Thrones back background you really need. It seems like to get into this or to watch this show, except maybe knowing the whole world, uh, <laughs> because they do drop names of like locations. And sometimes it feels like the show is like waiting for you, like, like waiting for the studio audience to clap. They're like, <laughs> I went to high tower and everybody just pauses. <laughs> like, like this means nothing if you haven't seen game of thrones though <laughs> yeah they mentioned uh one of the dragons named balerion as if i was supposed to know who that was and then they also mentioned dark sister which i was like is that a witch I what is that honest, I, I don't know about that one either <laughs> i looked up dark sister and dark sister apparently is a sword Oh, uh, so, uh, I guess it was made for a female warrior or something like that. Ooh. So when Damon gives Rhaenyra that necklace, it's made out of that same material oh. as, as that sword. So I was like, I, I, I only know this because I looked up the Wikipedia. That's the only I think I they, I think they also like reference like Valerian steel and they yes. like talk in high Valerian, uh, which is both from, I mean, it's all the same universe. So it's like from that Game of Thrones universe. But I feel like you could probably come into it and be like, yeah, okay, wacky, uh, wacky fantasy, uh, strong steel. And like, this is their fantasy language that I don't understand. Thank God. They're the smallest subtitles I've ever seen in my life there <laughs> to help me out. Were the <laughs> subtitles this big on yours? They too? were pretty big when they There's, were speaking that language. Yeah. Whatever, whatever it was. So, Hi, Valerian. <laughs> okay. So, is that language? Uh, I'm just going to be asking you a bunch of questions. Please, please do. So, is that language just something the Targaryens can speak, or, or just only the people who ride the dragons can speak? I was very confused as to why sometimes Damon and Rhaenyra would speak that language to each other. But she wouldn't speak that language to like her father or her or her mother, if I could remember correctly. But I only remember her and Damon speaking that language to each other. Yeah, I thought that was weird, too. I don't really have an answer for that. In in the Game of Thrones universe, it seems like it's more like, to be honest, it's like Latin. Like it's kind of a semi-dead language that people don't really speak anymore. So the people who speak it seemed in the Game of Thrones universe seem to mostly be like the nobles who would have like gotten an education and like how to speak High Valyrian. Uh, the dragons also do seem to understand it. But I don't know <laughs> if that's just because like the Targaryens have been whispering in High Valyrian to them or, <laughs> or if it's just like that's the one language that the dragons just know. That seems unlikely. But I mean, I don't want to put anything past these little guys they seem they seem real smart you know yeah. <laughs> they're like oh oh yes i don't understand english but hi valerian i got you, I got you girl i got you <laughs> well i guess they were using it as a way to speak like a coded language so yeah damon's in the throne room sitting on the iron throne uh that's kind of a big deal for him to be plopping himself up there and so i guess when renera confronts him about that 
they're speaking that language as to be covert in a way so nobody else can hear or understand them. I was very confused as to why, like, she wasn't speaking that to her father. I will also say the old-timey Iron Throne is so much tackier than the version on Game of Thrones. Because in Game of Thrones, it's really just the throne. Yeah. But in House of the Dragons, it's the throne, but also just like a bunch of swords that are just like coming out of the throne and going down the steps. And I'm like, listen, we're gilding the lily now a little bit. <laughs> I, I, It doesn't need the swords. Let's be honest. Let's all be honest with ourselves. First off, no one wants to sit in that throne. It cuts you. Yeah. Secondly, <laughs> secondly, it doesn't need all those swords. <laughs> yeah, it seems like a dangerous idea. I don't know who came up with that, but not a great idea for I, I, I'm, I'm sure there's like history to it that means something, but it's kind of a dumb idea. It's it's not it, it looks cool, but yeah. functionally it does it's it's a it's a definitely a form over function situation <laughs> with that iron throne. <laughs> or they could give him like a like a cushion on that yeah. seat. So they could give him a cushion. That is true. <laughs> you could still have the aesthetic of it, but like make it more comfortable and not uh, painful. Yeah, give him like a little backrest or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will have to say I had no Game of Thrones experience. Uh, the only thing I knew was that there were dragons in it, that a lot of people liked it, that there was a lot of uh, sexual things in it, and uh, especially the incest I'd heard about that. Not my type of show. I don't think I would have been really into it. I do love dragons, but uh, it just never was a show that I was interested in. And especially because it sort of felt like Lord of the Rings to me and not to disparage Lord of the Rings. I have all the movies on DVD, but uh, not on Blu-ray, just on DVD because <laughs> Peter Jackson's not getting that amount of money out of me again. Um, but uh, I like the Lord of the Rings films. I could not get past the prologue of Fellowship of the Ring, the book. Yeah, and you know, I what? realized when I tried to read the prologue to the book, The Fellowship of the Ring, when I could not get past that prologue, I was like, you know, maybe the maybe Lord of the Rings is not for me. Maybe this is not my kind of series. I couldn't comprehend all the my jam, all the locations and the people and the things and the facts and the history. And I was like, OK, this is too much. <laughs> this There's is too much. Uh, funny enough i also had bought all the lord of the rings books and i was like i'm gonna get really into lord of the rings and i thought so many times about opening those books and i have still to this day never opened those but i bought them in like high school and i was like i'm gonna be so cool i'm gonna get so into lord of the rings and every time i was like oh it looks so big and i would like put it down <laughs> but i actually have heard that about lord of the rings like they're a little hard to get into uh from what i've heard so i've uh, one day I'm gonna I'm gonna do it, but you're you're, not you're a much better reader than I am, so I don't I don't think you're gonna have as much of a problem. But I I recognize that about myself that if I could not get through Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones is probably not something I could <laughs> jump into because it seemed like the same sort of kindred spirit uh, in in high fantasy. So I. I just didn't really have any interest in Game of Thrones. And uh, I'd be curious to pick your brain, maybe not on this live stream, about why you think it went downhill. Maybe that's a Patreon-only uh, conversation. <laughs> I feel like I can answer that real quick, though. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I've got a lot of specific complaints that oh, I, yes. could, okay, let's get I could really get into. Uh, but I think the overall one is that when they started Lord of the Rings, uh, Lord of the Rings, when they started... <laughs> Game of Thrones, they had the book series to kind of go along with. Um, George R. R. Martin had 
done the first however many books in the series. Uh, but because it takes George R. R. Martin about 20 to 100 years to write a single book, uh, <laughs> what ended up happening is that after a couple of seasons, like four or five seasons, they shot over the amount of material that had come out with the books. So suddenly they didn't have like the structure of the story from the books. And they were never like one to one, um, you know, completely faithful to the books, I think, even from the first season. But they were like kind of following along basically the same path. But then suddenly they didn't have that path. When they didn't have that path, man, they just veered off straight into the woods like those kids in the Blair Witch Project. And we just like never (laughs) saw them again. (laughs) Uh, Blair Witch uh, seems to be more entertaining for me uh, (laughs) than I would be able to uh, take in. Um, Okay, so we've established our uh, Game of Thrones backstories and our our history with Game of Thrones. So I think the uh, the next thing that we should talk about, because this is a pilot pod, we do these to where we uh, watch the first episode of a series and then we talk about it. So uh, I guess the question I would want to ask you, uh, Morgan, do you think this was a good first episode of this series? Because it's a, it's a sequel, oh, no, it's a prequel series to Game of Thrones. Yeah. Uh, so it does, I guess, in some way need to have a tie to Game of Thrones. But do you do you feel like it it did a good job of building the world and introducing us to the characters and telling a, a story? Um, what did you think about it as a pilot? Oh, this is yeah, this one's a hard one. I feel like I don't. It, so I came in with that Game of Thrones knowledge. Uh, and I don't know how it plays if you don't have any at all, because it does seem like it banks to a certain extent on you knowing like where like what Westeros is and like where in Westeros they are and the different ruling house families and like you know of course the Targaryens are doing this and they have dragons and like that's normal and like kind of this stuff where it's I feel like they do a good amount of exposition on like who this person is and who that person is but I do feel like they do kind of take uh, for granted that you know certain Game of Thrones facts. So I don't know in terms of like being a pilot that you go into cold with no former knowledge. I don't know how that plays. How did that play for you? Were you just like, <laughs> who are these weird blonde people? <laughs> so I knew I was in trouble when the episode, start- <laughs> the episode started with narration and exposition. That to me <laughs> is always a red flag. Because if I'm having to jump into grasping names and dates and places and things, I already feel like I'm behind because I'm having to like uh, get all that knowledge into my brain immediately right off the bat. And my personal uh, approach to that would be different. I would want to immerse you into uh, a scene and, and just let you experience it first. Um, but coming right out of the gate, like, here's my story with the blah, 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 the house Targaryen and the Mad King and all this. I was like, I don't know what's happening. I I, <laughs> I was like, I guess this is important. I don't know. Um, so the narration and the exposition, I didn't think was a great way to start. And I'm sure if you were a Game of Thrones fan, some of that stuff would have meant something to you when they faded out the tat the text and it said something like 125 years before so and so Targaryen. Like I'm so, sure that yeah, sure they, that were, meant they were they were saying to somebody 
I thought that was cool how they did that as a Game of Thrones fan because they were saying, you know, 137 years before this little gal. Okay. Daenerys. Okay. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So, and she, again, that's like Amelia Clark's character in Game of Thrones. She's one of the, you know, the big characters from that series. So it does, I think it makes sense to, like, I, I don't disagree that it's like, not, it's a little bit of like a text heavy way to start a, a show. But I do think for like Game of Thrones fans who maybe, we're just kind of jumping into house of the dragon and hadn't read anything about the show before it started. And was like, Oh, what's, you know, I know it's a, about game of Thrones, but like in what way, I think it is kind of helpful to know that it like takes place. How, how many years it takes place before the events of game of Thrones. Uh, but I do, I don't know that it needed that like title card, the fading title card. I feel like you could have probably just put at the bottom of the first scene, 137 years before game of before you know the the events of game of thrones so i did have an issue with that but i think for the most part it set up the main character so you have king viserys i think his name is uh princess rhaenyra prince daemon those kind of uh main characters lady alicent they set up Mm -hmm. all these characters to where i knew who they were i knew what their relationships were to each other for the most part, I was confused about Rhaenyra and Alicent for a little while. Uh, that gets a little, uh, uh, as you go on, that gets a little more apparent to what Alicent is going to be doing in the series. Um, so that's that's another uh, uh, thing to talk about if you wanted to get into that. Because I did watch the five episodes that Millie was in. Um, but I, I, you but did I, better than me. I have made it two. Oh, two episodes. Okay. I've done two. I did the the first episode and then I um, walked away from my television for several days. And then (laughs) I came back and I was like, I'm, I can do it now. I can do episode two. And I did episode two today. So, okay. And I was like, all right. All right. I didn't feel like I needed to go on a walkabout after that one. So, <laughs> so maybe, maybe it's an improvement. Okay. It's an improvement now. <laughs> yeah. So I knew I knew who all the characters were. I understood the basics of the story that the king wanted an heir, uh, a boy heir, and his wife was pregnant. And so he thought this was going to be the one. And uh, because, unfortunately, the mother doesn't make it, the queen dies. Uh, the baby ends up dying. It's a real gory scene. Uh, uh, just very, very gory. Um, but I understood that there was a succession thing that had to be determined that uh, it was either going to be Damon who was going to be the successor or the heir um, uh, because the title, I think, is the heirs of the dragon of the episode. Um, <clears throat> and uh, so it was going to be Damon or Rhaenyra. And so that was kind of the story is trying to figure out who was going to be the heir apparent to the king. So I I could track with all of that stuff pretty well. I think later on I had a lot of questions and we can get into it if you want to, <laughs> if you want me to spoil some of uh the, I the mean, other I'm, episodes. I'm gonna but- keep I might I'm probably gonna keep watching at least through Millie's episodes, but I don't care about getting spoiled, honestly. Like it's fine. Uh there's something about like watching a prequel series where you're like, I mean I'm kind of spoiled for like what goes on a hundred years from now. So oh, yeah, I, think so it's fine. <laughs> I, I guess from my standpoint, like I understood the basics of what was happening. I didn't uh, understand a lot of the Easter eggs. I didn't understand a lot of the names, the things I had to look up a lot of stuff. So I didn't really know what people were talking about. Uh, but I guess 
my question for you as someone who had watched it, watched Game of Thrones, do you feel like it was still kind of set in that same world? Did it feel like it was part of that Game of Thrones universe? Yeah, you know, it did feel like it was part of that Game of Thrones universe. And I think my it's one of one of my critiques about it is just that it felt like it was part of that Game of Thrones universe, but like in a smaller way. So Game of Thrones takes place. I think I was telling you about the map that like is the the main theme song credits. Uh, but the Game of Thrones centers not just on like the Stark family. They live up in the north, but also we see the Lannisters there in King's Landing. We see, you know, uh, like scattered other characters from different locations. And then, you know, characters get scattered, sort of scattered to the winds as the show goes on. So you get to see different locations like up in the north and in the very south. And the world feels really big in Game of Thrones. And also if you're not, there's so many characters in Game of Thrones, which Right now in House of the Dragons, I'm two episodes in, not as many characters as there are in Game of Thrones, which I guess is better in terms of like not being so confused by being like, who's this guy again? <laughs> but it's also like if you if you're not really like hooking into any of the characters, there's not that many of them. Whereas in Game of Thrones, you could be like, oh, I don't really care about what's going on with Ned Stark. But then it would switch over to Tyrion, who's like T Peter Dinklage's character. And you might be like, oh, I love that guy. Like, great. Uh, and they would have, you know, so many different locations and things like that. It could sometimes make it feel like the story wasn't moving quite so much because they had like 10 different characters in five different locations that they had to all like you know, move along. So it was, you'd be like, did Danny do anything in this episode or was she just complaining about not being able to find her dragons for a whole season? <laughs> uh, so it came with its own drawbacks, but I do think that it gave a better scope of like what Westeros was, like what the world looked like, what different places in the world look like. This is almost like a little claustrophobic. Like you don't even really leave the castle that much, uh, especially in this pilot, um, whereas you know, or King's Landing, really. So you're just really stuck with the Targaryens and they're the, like the kings and the queens. So they're not like just kind of wandering around uh, going on adventures uh, for very obvious reasons. So it does feel like, like the world is a little bit smaller in House of the Dragon. Yeah, I can't remember exactly in the next couple of episodes if you keep watching it. Uh, it may get a little bigger. I've, I feel mm -hmm. like there was a sequence where Damon goes somewhere. I didn't really know where. And he takes a dragon and goes uh, shooting fire on people and stuff. So uh, I think there was a battle sequence that was outside of the castle. So there may be more of that as you get into it. So I'd be curious if you continue it. Um, if you think the uh, world expands and gets a little bigger, um, uh, I guess we could talk since uh, part of the reason that, well, actually the whole reason that we watched this was for Millie Alcock because <laughs> the, the buzz around her and all those news articles about her casting is they, they call her the house of the dragon star. Um, so this is what most people know her from. So uh, Morgan, what did you think about her performance as princess Rhaenyra? You know, uh, I and I think I might be a little bit biased because I'm like, that's my super girl. Uh, <laughs> but she was my favorite character in the pilot. I think, honestly, she would have been my favorite character even outside of that. Mainly because she's the only character we've uh, met, we sort of meet in the pilot that doesn't seem mostly awful. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, not a lot of good people in Game of Thrones overall in the Game of Thrones universe. Everyone's a little bit morally gray, but everyone's very morally gray here. Like <laughs> <laughs> very, very kind of bad. Uh, and she just seems like she likes to ride dragons. Um, and that's cool. I, I relate to that a lot. <laughs> uh, I would also love to ride a dragon. Uh, yeah, no, I really liked her character in this episode, in, in the pilot. I feel like we could have gotten like, a little bit more of her. Uh, or like a little bit more of what she's thinking, like like what her ambitions are or her goals. Uh, what we really get is that she isn't sure about like, I don't know, the kind of being placing herself in the line of succession. Uh, she would maybe rather just ride her dragons around, uh, which again, girl, I got you. Uh, but me. <laughs> yeah, I, th I thought she was good. I thought she was, um, she came off in the scenes that she needed to come off in as like a little bit younger. Cause I think she's supposed to be playing like 15 uh, and like a little naive, but also like strong. Like she's got like a, like an inner strength to her that she's like pretty tough. Uh, when it comes down to it. So I thought that I really I thought she was a really interesting character. And I thought Millie did a really good job uh, portraying her. Yeah, I really enjoyed there were two scenes that I really liked out of her performance. Uh, one of them was when she had to call the dragon to essentially cremate her mother her mother's body after she died um, uh, the, the emotions that she had to carry there about, you know, feeling like her, her you know, wondering if her father had, you know, five minutes of happiness that he, he had a, a, a boy heir. Um, um, that was such a good line. Yeah. From her especially because you could tell how angry she is. And I think that you really do get from her performance, how her father has been spending his whole, you know, maybe her whole life saying like, it's great, but like, I can't wait for my, my male heir. And so she's just kind of spent her whole life knowing that she's just slightly not good enough for her dad. And I think that that really shows in her performance, which I, and it's very subtle too. Like, you know, he'll say something and she'll just kind of like stop in the background and kind of just like <laughs> cringe. Yeah. Uh, and I thought that she did a really good job with that. Yeah. It's almost like a, like a bitterness of some kind mm -hmm. or like a, you know, feeling like you weren't good enough for your father just because of the way you were born. Um, so I thought that scene was good. And the very ending when I guess they're at her, I don't know if you would call that like an investiture or something like that, where she goes in front of, uh, I guess, the royal court or whatever they call it in Game of Thrones. And everybody has to pledge fealty to her and the king uh, as she becomes the successor to the, the Iron Throne. Uh, the episode ends on her like breathing heavily, like she's taking on this, you know, heavy weight. And I thought that was actually a pretty good, she doesn't say anything, but just that shot I thought was very good in terms of like expressing what that character was going through in the moment and how big of a deal that is for her. So I really, well, and I, I'll say uh, there was a third scene I liked. There was a scene where she and the King are down in some, I don't know if it was a dragon oh, there yeah, or in something the, in the, in the basement of like the keep, I think <laughs> of the, or the castle, I think it is where they keep like the, the giant dragon skulls. Yes, I wasn't sure. I assumed that the the giant the giant dragon skull had some sort of meaning of some kind to them. I wasn't really sure, but uh, there was a scene where the king has to pass on a secret or some sort of prophecy to her that she's now got to take on because she's going to be the successor. I thought that was a really good scene. Um, yeah, that was a cool one. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, so I thought I thought there were some good moments uh, there as I rewatched it the second time uh, to take a few notes. I thought I thought it a second time. <laughs> well, I like to give things a fair shake. So if I'm going to review something, I'm so to dedicated to this podcast. <laughs> I at least try to watch something twice because I think if you if you only complain about something after the first time you watch it, you might have just miss something or something passed you by. So I usually try to give things a second viewing. And I think it did get better on the second watch just because I think it flowed a little better. Cause the first time around, I was like, I don't know who these people are. I don't know what this, what, what is this? I don't know. So at, after the first time where I kind of knew who the characters were already, I think that really helped. Uh, yeah, so, I, yeah. I could kind of even see that. Like, I think since you, watched a bunch of the episodes and then like went back and rewatched the first episode it might have been like kind of going into it with the uh at least some of the world knowledge that it feels like the show already expects you to know in episode one i think that's maybe why it flowed a little bit better for you because i do feel like the show expects you to have watched game of thrones or to know a lot about game of thrones or some amount about game of thrones and so going in and like episode one they just kind of drop you in they do a little explaining but it didn't feel to me like i was trying to put myself out of my shoes and into a shoe of somebody who's never watched game of thrones i was like i don't know that this is enough explaining to be honest <laughs> like you don't want a whole ep a pilot that's just exposition but you might need a little more than this <laughs> <laughs> well i guess uh since i sort of talked about some of the scenes i thought were pretty good uh did you have any uh scenes that uh, from the pilot that stood out to you yeah, I love that scene that you mentioned where um, it's like her mother and her, you know, a couple days old brother or a couple hours brother, um, their funeral where she does say that like, uh, you know, I, I hope that for those five minutes he was happy when he had a son. Uh, I really liked that one. I really liked the scene where she is interacting with Damon, who's Matt Smith's character, and he's sitting on the Iron Throne, and she's like kind of like calling him out for it um, in uh, that high Valyrian. Uh, I think that they, <laughs> it's not good, but I think that they have good chemistry together, uh, and they're really good. It's like, I like having two good performers in a scene together is actually always kind of fun even if you're a little squicked out by what is the specifics of what is happening in that scene you're like ooh, ooh, is that man is that man flirting with his own niece i don't like that uh but i do like well, matt smith and and millie alcock are good so you know props where props are deserved i guess <laughs> so as a forewarning if you continue to watch the show oh i know where it's going <laughs> Just know that that relationship gets explored on a deeper level. Oh, no. <laughs> Game of Thrones, why? <laughs> it's always something with you. Uh, yeah, I, 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 liked, I liked that scene. I, I do like, I did like... Um, Matt Smith's character is absolutely out of his mind, but Matt Smith, <laughs> Matt Smith is like setting up a table and dining out in every single one of his <laughs> scenes. He's like, Give me, oh, do you have a, that piece of scenery? I would love to chew that as well. <laughs> and I think he's got, he's, he's great. A lot of the other characters are like, 
very like somber. Like we're in this world of Game of Thrones, and Matt Smith's like, hey, <laughs> we're all having fun. We're all being evil. Like um, I kind of a like because some of the the some of this pilot is so heavy and dark. Uh, even though he's awful and evil, the fact that he's just like kind of having fun with it is so. Uh, weirdly a, a like a little bit of a lightning of the episode where you're like well I mean he's doing some of the worst stuff I've ever seen but he's having fun so <laughs> I guess yeah. I gotta give him that <laughs> yeah he does put in a good performance I will say that he is truly terrible uh, the character is absolutely awful <laughs> but he's uh, believable in it and uh, just like Drogo the dragon uh, I thought it was funny that Damon was basically demon with the le- the letter switch. I was like, that feels a little bit lazy too. You might want to just like, oh, oh, can you read some deeper meaning into that? I can't imagine. <laughs> uh, maybe could have uh, come up with a name that was a little more interesting, but that is what it is. Yeah, I also really liked like the some of the beginning scenes where um, where Millie's character is just sort of flying around on the dragons. Uh, they apparently they had dragon money, but not as much dragon money as you would think uh, for a Game of Thrones spinoff. So we don't see as many of the dragons as I would have loved to have seen. But I did like any time that she was like hopping on a dragon or talking to a dragon or speaking in high Valer- whispering high valerian to a dragon i was like that <laughs> seems like the best <laughs> in my rewatch of the pilot i realized that there were more dragons in the pilot than i feel like there were in the other episodes no. so i think they were pretty i think they were pretty strong with the dragons in the first episode and then <laughs> they the- blew the dragon budget on episode <laughs> 1 they were like oh no now what do we do <laughs> If you keep watching, let me know how, what you think of the like the dragon to dragon ratio is. To, to, let me know if there's if there's nice. uh, I, enough dragons for you. There were some dragons in episode two. I kind of and we get to see her ride the dragon again in episode two, which I really liked. Uh, I, I like the idea that she's like one of these dragon riders. Uh, that you know they kind of it seems like you know the dragons are are obviously are weapons in this universe so the fact that she can like ride the dragons is pretty cool because if if push came to shove she could always like ride that dragon into battle uh hang on just a second my uh battery on my charger is apparently not charging on my laptop so give me two seconds technical difficulties we'll just we'll just bring drogon back out here Okay, no, we're good now. I was like, I thought I'd put it in. I'd plugged it in, but it, then it was telling me you have 10% left on your laptop. And I was like, wait not, a minute. That's not great. Um, yeah, so I think that at least the, the dragons that we got in the pilot were, I thought, pretty good. I thought they uh, had a good uh, showing of dragons. Um, I, nice I, missed, dragons. I, missed, I missed them in the... Uh, next episodes. I feel like there weren't as many. Oh, no. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, Stanley in the chat <laughs> says, Millie might be prepared to write Comet the Super Horse after this. Actually, she does. Uh, I think Rhaenyra rides specifically a white horse in one of yeah. the episodes. So <laughs> Comet the Super Horse is a white horse. Uh, my headcanon is like, that's how she got this role. Like it was, it was neck and neck. It was her and like uh, Meg Donnelly. And then uh, she was like, by the way, and then like just pulls up like a clip of her riding a horse and like, what do you, boom, 
Boom. <laughs> I guess while we're in the chat, we could get to some other comments. Uh, Electra WWF says the Lord of the Rings books aren't as hard to read as the, the Game of Thrones books. I couldn't even finish the first Game of uh, Thrones book. Uh, so that's a that's a good note. So be prepared if you start those books. Just be prepared to really dig into them, I guess. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, there was one other comment that I thought we had start. So Mind the Gap says uh, the thing uh, is Game of Thrones was clearly a hit with the mainstream. But this one, House of the Dragon, seems to just be for fans only. So that's probably a fair point. Maybe people weren't. Yeah. Maybe people like me, uh, the majority of people were not jumping into this one just to jump into this one this was just mostly for game of thrones fans yeah i think a spinoff is always tough because you want to onboard new viewers into like the world especially when it's like as complicated and there's as much backstory as like the game uh the world in game of thrones but you also want it to be you don't uh, for the returning fans the people who were really excited about it they don't want to like tune in to see all the stuff that they've already, they already know about. And they'll be like, I know, I, I know about that. So you want to try to hit like a, a mix uh, with that. And that's not always an easy thing to do to kind of talk to both audiences. So I do sympathize. I, I think that they might've, they might've leaned a little heavier on, Oh, everyone knows about this show. Not yeah. Everyone. <laughs> I was thinking about this and the only uh, TV series I could compare this to was Once Upon a Time on ABC. That was the original Once Upon a Time that people became fans of and were watching it. I watched it up until season three and I gave up because I was like, I kind of hate this now. And apparently it, <laughs> apparently it just continued to degrade uh, down a uh, an awful spiral. So I think I got out while the get was good. Um, <laughs> but um, around that time, they ABC did a spinoff from Once Upon a Time called Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. So it was a whole season that was just dedicated to the Alice in Wonderland story, which I think most people could have a jumping off point into that story because it's a very well-known story. And uh, it was so well done. I cannot brag about once upon a time at wonderland more i think i enjoyed that way more than the original once upon a time even though once upon a time season one is like one of the greatest tv seasons i've ever seen but um but wonderland it was telling its own very specific story i think they may have had one character that sort of came in from once upon a time so there was a little bit of a crossover but it was kind of its own thing and it was telling its own story. And I felt like that one did a better job of being more standalone that you could kind of pop into. And it had an ending that was, it was a very solid ending. So it told, it told a complete story in one season. So that was the only other TV show I could compare this kind of situation to. And I think uh, once for all of its flaws did really well with that Wonderland spinoff. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's a, it's a difficult problem that shows sometimes that do spinoffs have is like, you know, how much time do we dedicate to getting the new viewers up to speed? And is that going to bore the tears out of like the old viewers who already know all this stuff? And I feel like house of the dragon was just like, ah, you know, a lot of people watch game of Thrones. Let's just dive right in. And I was like, okay, sure. <laughs> okay. That brings up a question for me that I'm very curious about. So, I had some critiques that were maybe more in the later episodes that I had issues with about the world uh, okay. that I was trying to uh, to take in. But I was curious, Morgan, do you have any critiques of it, like specific critiques that you would want to address? 
ooh, of like the world of Game of Thrones, or 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 like the House of uh, the House of the Dragon and how it was telling its story, or uh, the the way in which it presented the world. I mean, I I just think that like especially in the pilot, and again, I've only watched like the pilot in episode two. The world seems like very narrow. Like we don't really know what's going on, mostly outside of the the palace that they're that they're living in or like the immediate surroundings and like the immediate families that are like vying for power but like what is going uh, the world of westeros in game of thrones is very large and there's like a lot of different players and they all have different motivations and that's kind of the fun part of game of thrones whereas here it's like we're just kind of sitting with the targaryens he wants a son uh, she just wants to fly. Uh, <laughs> Damon just wants to stab everyone and also be king. And it's like uh, outside of this, like one family's sort of inner squabblings. Uh, it doesn't feel like we're getting out much. So I'm, I'm hoping that you know that changes as the as the series goes on because it is just a pilot and we are trying to meet the main characters and they all happen to be Targaryens. But yeah, I'm interested in what uh, what's going on later on. Okay, I'm going to rephrase this a different way. What did you most dislike about the pilot? Oh, so many things, actually. Thank <laughs> you thank you for prompting me that way. Uh, <laughs> I think, I feel like it, I came in and I was like, Millie was so great. And Matt Smith, oh my God, I love him. He's so evil. And, uh, and oh, it's so good to be back in the Game of Thrones universe, which is all very true for me. But I uh, turned off that pilot after it was done. And I was like, I don't think I can do more than this. <laughs> Mike and I were we were just sitting there in like stunned silence <laughs> as the pilot ended and I was like I think this could be a one and done for me I think <laughs> I, I was like I gotta watch like something something nice now you gotta put on a sitcom <laughs> put on some d20 or something I need to laugh <laughs> uh, because it was so uh, it felt like it was um a lot of the excesses of like the later, like some of the Game of Thrones worst tendencies, but like none of the thing, none of the great tendencies, just like the bad stuff, like just going overboard on the violence in particular. Like, yeah, the sex stuff was like unnecessary, truly unnecessary. But I was very used to that from Game of Thrones. Like in Game of Thrones, they would just have a sex scene like quietly happening in the background as somebody was telling you, uh, was like like info dumping some lore. <laughs> and you'd be like, wait, what? Why is why is any of this happening? And it was like a big critique at the time where they were like, are they just trying to like use the sex to distract you from the fact that they're just like giving you boring exposition? They absolutely <laughs> are, aren't they? So like it wasn't always necessary and you're like, what am I watching? Uh, so I went into the House of the Dragon pretty sure that that was going to happen there too. And I wasn't really disappointed. So I was like, Oh yeah, there we go. Uh, it wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be a game of Thrones unless we had found the local brothel. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I was sure that was going to happen, but the violence like in game of Thrones, the violence was pretty bad, but usually I would like kind of know it was coming and it would be like, okay, I got to hide my eyes for like a, a minute or two. I legitimately was hiding my eyes for I it felt like 10 minutes. I was like, have I did I miss a good half of this episode? And Mike was watching some of this stuff and was like, 
no, don't come out from under the blanket. Oh my God, what is happening? <laughs> it was like kind of narrating some of it. And I was like, you know what? Don't even tell me. I don't even want to know what's going on. There's a, a extended sequence where Matt Smith's character, he has taken over as head of the, uh, the, city, the, city, watch. Guard, the city watch, which by the way, having uh, just seen him one time on the show, could you know that's a mistake? Like you don't need to. You just <laughs> his name is Damon, his which name is very is close Damon. To Damon. He's like a little evil demon freak. <laughs> you know that he's not a good guy. Don't give him a position of authority where he's in charge of of your troops. That's a mistake. <laughs> and he like takes them through the city. He's like, there's too much crime, and then they just kind of go through the city, just like killing everybody that they can uh in like apparently just various disgusting ways like just over the top disgusting lots of uh, dismemberments dismemberments and like mike was like what why would they do that i was like you know what don't tell me don't tell me what they did i don't even need to know uh so that was unnecessarily to me uh gory in a way that like doesn't add anything to the story like you don't need to see him chop somebody in half or whatever chop them apart Uh, he beheaded a guy yeah okay i i also heard that he maybe stabbed somebody in the butt like directly into the butt there was Uh, there was something like that. It wasn't real clear to me, but there was a butt involved. <laughs> I just heard Mike say, why the butt? <laughs> and I was like, nothing good is happening right now. And I'm so safe in my little I, fort. <laughs> I think it was more on the other side of the body. But uh, oh, oh, no. But, but there was a butt on screen uh, is the thing. Yeah. So like the, the, the violence was just unnecessary in a way. It was like, you could just kind of, you don't need to, it doesn't need to be so graphic. And then I think that, I mean, the worst offender for me absolutely was the, uh, was the birth scene. There's just like, I don't understand. I don't, it didn't, it didn't need to be that great. I was under those, I was under my, uh, my blanket for for what felt like 20 minutes uh there was it just that scene went on forever and ever and ever also like game of thrones is notoriously not great to its female characters like that's been a big big critique of game of thrones to the point where when house of the dragon uh was starting production they had to be like you know what we're gonna scale there's gonna be no sexual violence in our show and you know your show is pretty uh has gotten a pretty bad reputation when that's how you're trying to entice people to come back is like (laughs) no no not in this one none of that none of that in this one but like they traded the sexual violence for something that's also very bad so it didn't feel better watching it <laughs> like i was like the the forced uh c-section was truly one of the the more horrific things that i have uh have seen slash heard on tv and like the fact that the the wife is like begging the whole time for them not to do it it's just it's the whole thing is so unnecessary i if they wanted to get there from a story perspective they didn't need to show it for 10 minutes they could have cut away and it would have still been just as dark and it would have still made you feel kind of gross but you wouldn't have had to like sit in it for so long i just felt like it was so unnecessary it was really raw in the way they depicted it i think it's because like oh it's made for hbo it's streaming on max we can do whatever we can push the envelope we can be edgy that's not always the answer i think sometimes if you're doing something like that a more subtlety um in how you telegraph that is actually more interesting 
to me, I feel like if you get more creative and how you do that is cinematically, it's way cooler because you're conveying something without having to be so literal about it. Then you, you, you kind of uh, rely on the visuals to help immerse you in it and tell that story. What they did was very literal. They literally showed them cutting her, uh, her belly up and all the blood everywhere and you see everything and i guess there is maybe a justification you could use to it to say like this is in the olden times they i I don't know when it takes place but like this is how barbaric and terrible it would be so we're depicting it that way but in my opinion i think some of the more effective things that you do with violence like that if you get more creative about it i think it's so much more visually interesting like i'm thinking of alfred hitchcock movies you know he didn't get super graphic with his and hitchcock killed a lot of people in his movies oh yeah he was always thinking of new (laughs) ways to kill people he had a whole movie where there was a guy dead in a uh like a like a case and they like threw a party over his dead body oh what is that called it's called it's called rope 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 yeah Yeah. so i haven't i haven't seen that but i i watched some uh some documentary about horror like last year and they were talking about it a lot and i was like i gotta watch that movie that sounds great rope is actually a great movie it's very famous for having very few cuts so it's almost shot like a play so people are like when they need to sit down in a scene they'll like bring the chair into the scene and when they're finished they'll take the chair out of the scene you know that's so cool Uh, so it's actually pretty interesting but like hitchcock showed a lot of death. He killed a lot of people, but he did it in such a way because I guess he had to back in the, you know, the 60s, probably that you couldn't show something so graphic. So he had to figure out ways to do it so that it told you what was happening without showing you all the gory stuff. And so I think that is unfortunate, in my opinion, just because I think not only is it something I don't want to see, but I think it's also kind of creative, uh, creatively lazy. I agree with this 100%. And uh, my husband has heard me rant about this after we watched the pilot. I was like, why would they do? But I think it is. it starts to feel like, um, especially sometimes, and this is not just a Game of Thrones sin. This is a lot of um, like cable shows and like HBO shows and even some basic cable shows where like, just because you can do it doesn't mean that it is good to do it. Like you should do it. And also it just... I get annoyed when it feels like it's edgy to be edgy and not edgy in order to tell the story. Like there, a lot of what happened in this pilot of house of the dragon was just edgy to be edgy. They were like, we we're going to, we're going to set up this world and you're going to know that this world does not like women. And also that there's violence and that, you know, anything can happen to anyone. And it's like, yeah, I feel like you could have, you could have told us that this is a violent world that like doesn't respect women without, you know, really hitting us over the head with it, with the graphic violence, the violence could be toned down even a little bit and we'd still get it. Like with, I think we're smart enough that we can like go on that journey with you. And I feel like it's a lot of times it's like, they know that they can do it. It's HBO. We can be as, you know, as graphic as and as gross as we want to be. But that doesn't always mean that you should be. That doesn't always mean it's needed. Yeah, I personally find that really uh, unfortunate because it could be really interesting if they wanted to uh, get more creative with it. And um, I think I'm frozen. I think you've frozen. 
<sighs> I just okay. thought that you were like really thoughtful about what I was saying. <laughs> I was really thoughtful about it. I was like, wow, she just seems to be thinking like the same thing about would, everything. Would you, would, you, would, you, would you like me to stay in that position? So I'm, I'm just uh, really Oh my God, about- she's so thoughtful about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, if you want to take uh, comments from the chat. Sure, I will. I will uh, until I can figure out what's going on with my laptop. We're having to do this again. So I will come back out and come back in. No worries. Uh, so I'm going to hit over to the chat and see. Uh, Mind the Gap says, some of the actors like her father looked like they were wearing Halloween costumes. Either the costumes were rushed or the actors weren't comfortable in them. I didn't have as big of an issue with the costumes. I thought some of the costumes were good. I w- The wigs are very wiggy. Let's Let's just go ahead and say it like everybody in this show is wearing like a platinum blonde wig. And boy, do you know, it's a platinum blonde wig. I don't think they're like fooling anybody that the wigs are not their natural hair. I was just talking about how wiggy the wigs were. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so I assume that that was mostly staying in line with Game of Thrones and the Targaryens as they were in that. I feel like the wigs might have been a little bit better in Game of Thrones. Uh, I could be wrong, but I feel like I never had those moments of being like, oh, that's that's what we're going with. <laughs> <laughs> they, they had a higher wig budget. In, uh, I Game think of Thrones. they might. It, it also might have been that like o- less people were wearing the wigs. I feel like maybe there was like, you know, a handful of characters that wore wigs on Game of Thrones, uh, uh, which Daenerys was one of them. Uh, but that the rest, a lot of the other characters had like their natural hair. And in this one, it's like every, every, every dome has a wig on it in this one. Everybody's wearing, everybody's wearing a wig. So that wig budget got stretched real thin. You know what? If it was me, I would just be like, dye my hair. Just, just give me a platinum blonde look if it's possible, but it may not be possible for somebody with really dark hair. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, so there were definitely a lot of wigs. Um, uh, I guess, uh, were there any other things that you wanted to address that we didn't get to? Um, I guess we we sort of, uh, before I uh, froze up and in my thoughtful face, um, <laughs> uh, we were talking a little bit about the violence and the, the, the childbirth scene. And I did think the the dialogue between the queen and Rhaenyra at the beginning was really interesting because they have this conversation about uh, the role of women in these royal houses or inside the castle, because the queen says, uh, Rhaenyra says, you know, I want to, you know, wear a uh, knight's armor and I want to ride victoriously into battle. And the queen says the child bed is our battlefield. And I, I think knowing kind of where the season goes, I think that is a good uh, setup to at least talking about I think there's a storyline that sort of goes between the uh, sort of the contradiction between Rhaenyra and uh, Lady Alicent, mm-hmm. who uh, gets a new title in a couple episodes, probably. I, I uh, so again, I watched uh, episode two and I was like, oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I think the show, with all of its uh, issues that I have with it, I think it does a good job of comparing and contrasting those two characters and their uh, roles within that uh, castle and within that royal family uh, because they are so different in that way. Uh, so I thought uh, going back and watching that pilot from the beginning was uh, was I was more informed about kind of what that dialogue was setting up. Um, uh 
I don't know if you want to be spoiled for. Sure. And, okay. So mm-hmm. in the chat, if you don't want to know about the first five episodes of the house of the dragon, you can leave for about five minutes and come back. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, this is uh, it's such a silly critique, but uh, I don't know if you see it a lot in this first episode, but as I kept watching it, I noticed, cause I like to look for like, you know, Oh, they have tapestries on the wall. What, what are, what are they symbols of? What do they mean? You know, how, how does that connect to this family? And so when I looked at the tapestries, <laughs> they were, let's just say not safe for work. Oh no. <laughs> That's so funny. The tapestries were depicting, uh, Kama Sutra like things all, all over the is- tapestries. That's very funny. That's wild. And the reason I bring it up is because I feel like I don't understand the culture of this society. Because within these episodes, they seem to, as I read it, um, and I had a really big discussion with this uh, with some friends of mine who are Game of Thrones (laughs) fans. And I was like, I don't understand this culture. Um, So the the brothels seem to be very uh, out in the open. They're very... uh, you know, uh, uh, not ashamed, I guess you could say of what they are doing there. There seems to be no issue with that. Everybody just kind of accepts it. Everybody kind of plays along with what is happening in those places. And there seems to be like, to me, that was sort of a depiction of the culture that that was, Nobody seemed to have a problem with this. Not an issue. The castle has these tapestries that depict it all over. I mean, they were everywhere, like everywhere. Like if you keep watching, look at the tapestries. This is going to be my new favorite game when I watched House of Dragon now is like spot the tapestries. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, and the reason I have an issue with this and the re- reason why I was so focused on it is because I got really confused. There's one episode where uh, I'll just say Rhaenyra and her uncle Damon get a little close. Oh no. And in that, I think in that same brothel and, sure, uh, <laughs> and cause Damon takes her out on night on the tra- town where a lot of that's happening. In the and city. why, wh- why wouldn't you take your niece there? <laughs> why, why wouldn't you? Um, and then, uh, later the King finds out about what has happened and, uh, addresses it with princess or, you know, soon to be queen Rhaenyra. And uh, she gets upset with her father. And she's like, how dare you besmir- besmirch my virtue? And I was like, how does that track? Because to me, the culture as it was presented to me was that they were out in the open. They were just doing this stuff everywhere all the time with whoever they wanted to. No big deal. And then all of a sudden she was like, oh, but my virtue. And I was like, what? You have tapestries with the Kama Sutra on them. This is a very fair critique. My, my I, I just I couldn't I couldn't make that jive. My assumption is that like um that like in a lot of places things that are maybe okay for the men uh especially like the highborn men to do in that society not so much okay for the women to do. So I will say that was something I considered but they also critiqued damon about this so it could it could be that they were also like he was seen last night in a brothel with these ladies you know and i was like why do you care look at the tapestries (laughs) and so uh i i guess maybe it could be like they were trying to protect the king's image 
again, I still don't understand because the king has these Kama Sutra tapestries all over his castle. So why does That's he care? So funny. Why does he? Why does he care? So I, I just. Uh, to me that that's a that's a it seems like a small issue maybe to my friends in a text message chat maybe it's a small issue to them but to me that didn't help me understand the culture because when i saw the tapestries i was like oh oh but i was like well maybe that's part of their culture maybe that's something maybe it's like an ancient rome thing where that was more explicit and maybe that was more of a the way they did things, even if it's not something I'm really in favor of having that out, you know, in public, but, uh, just but on maybe, the walls, <laughs> just hanging on the walls in the castle where the King lives. Um, but maybe that's this cult. Like I'm trying to put myself into the culture of the show. And then when it didn't make sense to me, I was having a real problem with it. So I, that was like my biggest critique and I know it sounds stupid, uh, but I think it's, I think it's fair. I, I do. I think it's probably one of those things where it's like frowned upon for the royalty, maybe like the regular rabble could do it, but it's like embarrassing to have the King's brother seen at a brothel. There's a, um, he has like a, a specific sex worker that is kind of his, sort of his girlfriend, even though he's married, although he kind of talks about his wife, like, Oh, her like has you, left her at some somewhere you, very far away. You, you <laughs> her later. She's on nice. screen for about five seconds, and she was oh, like. Boy. And the thing that sucks about his wife is mm-hmm. she was like the most. She had the most personality of any character on the show for me. I was like, oh, oh no. she <laughs> seems like a character that could be interesting to follow. And then like, <laughs> doesn't stick around too long. <laughs> Goodbye again, my friend. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I think it's like it's okay. Uh, maybe they're a little bit lax about the regular people, but it's it's embarrassing to have the king's brother. But why uh, do they it, have the tapestries? The tapestries are an unknown. Maybe they're just like you know what? Everyone in this castle is so horny. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny though. I w- I'm going to be looking for those because that's wild. The only thing I can think of is that it was like a. Uh, like a because i know there are some uh, i don't know too much about it but like i remember seeing a documentary one time it was like a cnn documentary that i had to work on one time when i worked at turner and it was it was about like japanese culture it was such a weird documentary you can probably look it up it's like christian it's christian amanpour talking about sex in different places of the world and i was like why christian amanpour why why her why her why is she doing this (laughs) she's like free vacation sure (laughs) so i had to work on this when i when i worked at turner and i was like oh okay um, I had to work on a lot of weird stuff. Don't get me uh, talking about Mr. Pickles. I did not want to <laughs> work on that. I feel like we have like a whole Patreon exclusive where you explain <laughs> Mr. Pickles to me. So if you become a Patreon supporter, you can find that, I'm sure. So I had to work on a lot of weird things that I didn't want to watch. Um, but uh, I think she goes to Japan or somewhere and there's there's more of a... a and maybe you would know more about that, Morgan. But uh, I think there were some like ancient either Japanese or Chinese uh, symbols and things that were kind of more of that tapestry thing. So I don't know if that's like pulling from a real world connection to where maybe the king was having that around the castle. So it would Mm. bring fertility and give him an heir. I don't, I don't know if that was something, but it just, I, I couldn't make that. That's me being generous to be like, Oh, the king had that up to encourage him and his wife to uh, give him uh, a baby boy so he could have an heir. 
Are are you speaking about the uh, 2018 documentary Christiane Amapour, Sex and Love Around the World? Probably. That sounds I right. I googled it. Uh, and the, yeah, there is an episode. There's an episode about a bunch of different countries, but there's like Tokyo is the first episode and then they go to New Delhi and Beirut and Berlin and Shanghai. Uh, so yeah, that's, I mean, yeah, it's maybe it's one of those things where like in their culture, that's kind of just what their art looks like. It's just like super sexual. Everybody, nobody thinks anything of it because honestly, they're all like a little bit weirdly okay with incest. So like, <laughs> what's the, where's the line even with them? Well, that's, that's the thing too, is like, you're okay with incest. And you've got those Kama Sutra things on your wall, but then you're you're worried about you your virtue, your virtue. You the oh line at brothels. Yeah. Like, what? That doesn't make any sense to me. So but I you call a sex worker. It's like it's better than incest, my dude. <laughs> so I just uh, I was I was having trouble getting in and understanding the world of the show in that regard. So that was kind of my biggest critique that I know nobody else cares about, but me, <laughs> but it, it, it uh, made me so confused as to what was okay. And what was not, I think if, if they hadn't had those tapestries in the castle, I think I would have been like, yeah, you are besmirching her virtue. How dare you? Uh, even though her virtue was kind of already besmirched mm. in that brothel. So oh. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that she can really uh, be uh, upset about that. Uh, but I think to me, there were contradictions in the show that did make sense on a philosophical level when I thought about it too hard. So uh, that, that was maybe just me, but that was kind of I mean, one of my biggest critiques. I feel like that, uh, not the, not the tapestries, but like the, uh, the um, sort of that attitude is kind of consistent with game of Thrones because in game of Thrones, uh, Tyrion, who's Peter Dinklage's character, he is the uh, brother to the queen. Uh, she married the king. And his father is like, you know, uh, like a uh, sort of a big shot. And it seems, and he goes to brothels all the time. He is a frequent visitor to the brothels. Uh, and it seems like it is an embarrassment to the family that he does this, which is potentially the reason that he does it. Uh <laughs> Because he's like, I hate you all. Uh, so I could definitely see that that's kind of, it kind of tracks with the world that like these highborn people, of course, yeah, maybe they do it, but like they're not supposed to be seen. They're not supposed to be known that they do it. Like it's supposed to be like under the radar. And I think it's uh, it's embarrassing that like Damon is going to these brothels and everyone knows he goes to the brothels and he's like, got a girlfriend who's at the brothel and the, um, it, a spoiler alert for episode two is that he says he's going to like marry her and have two wives uh and like that she's pregnant even though she's like not pregnant she's like dude i am not pregnant what are you <laughs> uh that was a great scene to me in episode two where she's like are you serious <laughs> we didn't talk about any of this <laughs> so i think it's a lot of it is him just trying to embarrass the family uh, by doing these things that seem outrageous just to kind of get attention. So I guess there are no weird tapestries in Game of Thrones. Not that, you know, That's what? not, not a, that I noticed. Not, okay. <laughs> not that I noticed. I mean, there there is like a lot of sexual content in Game of Thrones. Uh, and a lot of it is just like 
come on, man, come on. But, uh, <laughs> like, uh, you know, but I never noticed weird tapestries. But if I ever, when, whenever I go back to decide to revisit Game of Thrones, I'm going to be, like, eagle-eyed on the walls. Yeah, I just, I, t- I tend to do that. I look for things to, like, help me inform what's happening with the culture. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking around at things to try to help me better understand what's going on. And when I saw that, I was like, huh. I really, I really uh, was shocked by it so much so that I was like, okay, maybe this is, this is what they do here. I guess this is the thing. Uh, so yeah, I guess as you go along, if you continue House of the Dragon, pay attention to the tapestries. Let me know if maybe I'm just a weirdo that focused on something that nobody else cared about. <laughs> Uh, I'm I'm looking for these tapestries now. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, you can look up an article. I, I found one to send some to to friends of mine because when I mentioned it to them, they were like, "You're really focused on these tapestries," and I was like, <laughs> yeah. "I'm going to send you an article that shows you exactly what these things look like." And it, oh my god, like there some- there is there's a den of geek article that says the Targaryens' home decor is very not safe for work. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. So uh, I, I hope it's not just me fixing oh, something. Actually, there's a really interesting, I, and I don't know it's an interesting article because I just read the headline, but <laughs> it's, it seems interesting. It's um, it's from artnet.com and it says, how Pompeii and medieval art helped inspire the very racy backdrops oh. for House of the Dragon, the scandalous Game of Thrones spinoff. It says the creators made some very not safe for work choices when it came to home decor. Uh, so I will send that to you after we hop off because I'm going to read this because that sounds really. Oh my God, you're right. <laughs> I just, I just saw, I just saw like, uh, uh, like a screenshot, like still screenshot of what's happening in the background of this one character, and it is people are doing some stuff. <laughs> See, <laughs> people are bending. People are bending in all kinds of ways. <laughs> Okay, oh, great. Well, so it seems like maybe they were inspired by by like medieval art and art from like ancient Rome, which you mentioned. So maybe it's it's less that they're trying to tell you something specific about the society and more that they're trying to like call back to these sort of like ancient civilizations to kind of make it feel like that time period. I guess I can see that. I just I don't even think like like in ancient Rome. I think they were pretty just like uh, they were pretty open about like th- yeah, this is how we are. They, like I don't think they would have been worried about somebody besmirching their That's virtue. True. In that is Rome. true. Ancient Rome was just like, what up? <laughs> this is this is how we are. Um, uh, the the whole New Testament uh, <laughs> that's written uh, by uh, the Apostle Paul when he's writing letters to all the churches is like we need to address some of this behavior that's been going on with these churches. <laughs> and some of that is because that was the world that they were living in. Um, so I think, uh, I, I think I can kind of understand it to a degree, but I think trying to justify it with the, the culture and then how their reaction to it, I was having trouble with that. Um, but yeah, it's very interesting. Okay. Well, I guess Morgan, uh, We've we've kind of talked about how you watched episode two. Do you think you're going to go on to episode three? I saw a preview for episode three. There seems like there is a battle. And I said, uh oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh oh, uh, but I feel like I'm locked in for at least Millie's episodes. I there's enough that I'm vaguely interested in that like keeps me wanting to know like what where the show is going. I won't say that I find it to be the most compelling 
two episodes in. I think that there are compelling moments and there is stuff that I'm like, oh, that seems like it could be going in an interesting direction. Just enough to get me to like want to watch the next episode and see where it's going. Uh, I, I it's it feels a little slow at the moment. It feels like they they could kind of get to get to the point a little bit faster, especially in like hour plus episodes. You know, maybe take out some of the padding of people getting stabbed in the butt and and <laughs> and maybe like focus on moving the story along a little bit more. Uh, but I think I'm I think I'm in a, for at least the first five. I know like my husband's going to watch. He's like, I'm, I'm going to watch the whole show. And I was like, God bless. <laughs> um, so if I feel like if I haven't changed my mind by the end of Millie's arc that I might I might depart House of the Dragon. But likely I'll just keep watching it because it's on, to be honest. <laughs> like. If, I, if he's watching it, I'll probably just watch it because I'll be too. Cu- At that point, I'll be too curious about like what's going on with all these crazy blondes. I'll be like, "Oh, what are they doing now?" Yeah, uh, I will say I found it to be very so slowly paced. Uh, yes, and, the pacing uh, was very is is quite slow, and I thought most of the cinematography was very boring. Uh, it was. Uh, it was very uh, visually kind of mostly uninteresting to me because I'm a very visual person and I need things to be pretty cool. It doesn't change for me until episode five. Okay. Episode five is when it actually started to go, oh, there are things ha- like things are happening. There is one thing in there that I thought was a flipping of an evil light switch for one of the characters <laughs> that I thought didn't. Wasn't did, quite earned. Wasn't earned at all. Uh, and I was very disappointed with that choice. Um, but I I think uh, action and storytelling wise, it eventually culminates into episode five and are really probably a, a very Game of Thrones-ish way. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, violence happens. Um, and, but the visuals get a little better. They're They're mm-hmm. using reflections and and uh, trying new things with the camera. And it's actually very interesting to watch. So for me, it sort of picked up with episode five, but by the time episode five ended, I was like, yeah, I don't think this is a show for me. I'm free. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have friends who say there's a lot of good dragon stuff by the end of it. They probably like pull out some big dragon stuff. They probably saved all their dragon budget for the finale. And so there's probably some big, thing there so maybe it's worth it to stick it to the end but i just i feel like i feel like when i was when house of the dragon started like the buzz for it was pretty low (laughs) and then as the season went along like it started getting it started seeming like more and more people were like getting into it and talking about it so i'm hoping that that means that the quality is steadily increasing over the season uh such that it is um more compelling by the end than it is right now in the beginning. Cause I will say like for everything that I find interesting, there is like quite a bit of like slog that is like not that great. And you're just like, okay, another council scene. This is great. (laughs) The council scenes are my favorite and we'll get to that in the snap judgments. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I, I had the same kind of feeling that it was, it was tough to watch. It was tough to get through. Um, but I, I think it does tend to get better. And why I was so surprised, like I had heard so many before I even pushed play on this thing for the first time, I had heard 
glowing things about House of the Dragon. People were comparing it to the Lord of the Rings, the Power of the Rings show on Amazon or whatever. They they were like, oh, House of the Dragon was way better than that Rings of Power TV show. Oh, House of the Dragon was great. Blah, blah, blah. And I just heard all this gl- these glowing things. And when you read all those uh, Millie Alcock uh, casting news uh, reports... They, they made House of the Dragon sound like it was this great TV show. So I went into it like, okay, all right, show me what you got, House of the Dragon. And then I left and I was like, that's it? That's all like you got? Episode one, I feel like, is an especially bad showing for that. Like, if, if, I, if I didn't have the Game of Thrones background and I had just watched episode one, I would have absolutely been like, screw this show (laughs) no thank you i don't want anything that they're selling uh but with the game of thrones background i was like all right they're just doing that whatever let's let's see what else they've got going on i feel like it does like the pacing of it does really kind of suffer at least in the first two from being so like set in one location it made me think about how game of thrones would like bounce around from place to place so that made it even if the story even if at the end of the episode you went what happened? Did like <laughs> did the story move very far? Or did like not a lot happen? But at least while you were watching it, you felt like the story was moving because like you were going to different locations, you were checking in with different characters. I think this because it is so set in one place, and it's like a lot of just like the old men talking in a room very soberly. You're like, okay, um, sure. And there were dragons in the show, though, right? <laughs> there were there were some dragons. Um, okay, well, I guess we've talked enough about uh, House of the Dragon and Game of Thrones. We went through a, a very extensive uh, uh, overview of Morgan's perspective of Game of Thrones and her her uh, Drogo <laughs> the Dragon, maybe uh, Drogon, Drogon, Be- beautiful Drogon. You gotta I, put the end on people, it, not just Drogo. Drogon. I, I I can guarantee you that it's going to turn out that this little guy is not Drogon. He's one of the other ones, and we're going to get like we're going to get like emails about it, and so be like Morgan held up a dragon. She said was Drogon, but actually that was Viserys. <laughs> know your stuff. <laughs> and I apologize. I apologize in advance. We'll we'll put it out on X, and I'm sure everybody's going to have some real opinions. <laughs> That's wrong. <laughs> I'm name, sorry. Name this dragon from Game. <laughs> name this dragon please all right well uh let's get into some snap judgments before we get out of here in the game of snap judgments each person is presented with two options but must only choose one first instincts are recommended and explanations are unnecessary our first snap judgment Speaking of the council, uh, 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 bigger council financial rundowns concern the cost of the tournament or how much capital they invested in retraining and re-equipping the city watch. Yeah, there's a whole meeting about uh, the money that they've been spending <laughs> for things. Compelling stuff. <laughs> Real edge of your seat bureaucracy in motion. <laughs> I was really kind of surprised by it because I was like, doesn't the king, like, can he not tell people like go spend money on this like they have to have somebody donating money he was he because uh, they mentioned some dude like gave money who like, are their was, accountants I, I don't know <laughs> so uh so they they had an expense for the tournament that they were going to have while the uh the new uh baby boy heir was supposed to be born 
And then they also uh, invested some capital in retraining and re-equipping the city watch. Uh, I think the biggest concern just for like the consequence of everything, they spent a lot of money uh, with for the city watch and then it became a, a terrible disaster. So for me, that is the bigger financial cost because then you're sort of ruining your your uh, king reputation based off of what Damon was doing. So I would say maybe scale back on the funding of the city watch. Cause they're maybe not doing a great job. So I think <laughs> for me, that would have been my more uh, uh, pressing concern. This, uh, the city watch, not the tournament. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I, you know what? It's tough because they, it does seem like they're spending a lot on this tournament uh, that maybe <laughs> they shouldn't be spending, but at the same time, like, what is the city watch doing? Uh, they're, just, <laughs> they're just decapitating people, just yeah. running through, through the streets wild. Those people, those people need retraining for sure. Yeah. Uh, so, and maybe they need like whatever the opposite of reequipping is. Unequipping, <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe giving them no equipment. <laughs> I will say, I think spending money on the tournament was worth it. If you're gonna have a tournament, you gotta go all Make it out. Good. Yeah, it's you gotta, gotta be good. Yeah, you gotta you gotta decorate. You gotta spend the money to get all the big wigs there. You got. I mean, you gotta go all out. Uh, okay. Let me. Uh, the uh, our next snap judgment is: Would you rather watch House of the Dragons as it is, or would it be better if it was a show about a family of dragons? <laughs> This now judgment a, a came from where dragons live, if you will. <laughs> I, I'm sort of envisioning. Uh, you remember that TV show, Dinosaurs? Yes, <laughs> where it was a TV show about I'm the baby. Gotta love me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so I was sort of thinking about. I didn't like House of the Dragons, but I would maybe like a like a show about a family of dragons. Uh, I mean, a family of dragons. I would watch that without any any hesitation. That would be my go to show. Uh, I mean, I got to say, as much as I love the world of Game of Thrones, I'm a little bit more medium on House of the Dragon at this yeah. particular part. But you know what I love? Dragons. If I could get a show of like like old school animatronic, <laughs> practical effects dragons, like a tree even, perhaps. Yeah. I'm watching that. I'm watching that every day. I'm watching that the second it comes on. <laughs> and in months to catch up, you know. <laughs> and this is not a drama. This is a straight family sitcom. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Laugh track and all. I expect, <laughs> I expect the highest quality from House of the Dragon, where like the father walks in, he's like, "Oh boy, the day I've had." <laughs> And then he like toasts a marshmallow or something. With his <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm just tossing out ideas. They can take any of this. <laughs> what does that show look like? I don't know, but I think it would be amazing. Um, that's a free idea. If if, free the, idea. if the Henson Company wants to take it and run with it, <laughs> let's do it. No judgments on your snap judgments. I meant to record a new uh, set of plugs for us this weekend, and it did not happen. So I'm just going to do a live read of our <laughs> plugs uh, so that we can have an up-to-date version of it. So that's going to do it for this episode of Supergirl Radio. If you would like to contact Supergirl Radio, you can post a comment on our website at supergirlradio.com. You can email us at supergirlradio at gmail.com. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on X and Instagram, all at Supergirl Radio. If you like what we do, we encourage 
encourage you to give us a rating and write us a review on Apple Podcasts. And Supergirl Radio is part of the DC TV Podcasts and Multiverse of Color Networks. And if you want to hang out with us live and wired, we usually go on uh, Tuesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern on the DC TV Podcast YouTube channel and the Supergirl Radio Facebook page. Uh, this time around, we did a <laughs> live stream on Monday just because I had a Tuesday conflict that we had to change things around. So if you were surprised about us going live on Monday, that's why. Uh, DC TV Podcast also has a tea Public store. So if you are in need of new uh, DC-related T-shirts, tank tops, sweatshirts, onesies, mugs, notebooks, pillows, or stickers, go to SupergirlRadio.com and click on the tea Public store link at the top of the page. And since we talked about the Game of Thrones universe, we have some game night designs on the DCTV <laughs> podcast public store we'd like to suggest. Yeah, these are custom Supergirl Radio uh, designs that we have in the T public store. We put these out into the world if you would like to uh, check them out. We have some game night related uh, merchandise. So check that out in the uh, DCTV podcast T public store. Yeah, I mean, wear them to your next game night for sure. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've got some game night uh, apparel that I can wear. So I encourage everyone to check that out. Well, if you would like to uh, become a Legion of Super Sponsor for and support the Super Radio Patreon, uh, you can do it like these people who are Legion of Super Sponsors. Uh, Michael, Amory, Yvonne, Nicola, Abby, Miriam, Nicole, Brian, Ethan, Danny, Majuba, Zachary, Annie, and Rachel. And if you'd like to become a Legion of Super Sponsor, you can go to patreon.com slash supergirlradio. And if you would like to follow me on the interwebs, you can find me on Instagram at the Derby Kid and on the social media platform Vero, True Social, I think is the official title. Uh, I'm over there at Derby Kid, and I have a YouTube channel that you can find at youtube.com slash duckmilkprod. I'm actually uh, going to be starting a series where I talk to Snyderverse fans or Zack Snyder fans, however you want to put it. Uh, I have a uh, an interview lined up for next week. So I'm going to be talking uh, with uh, a fan that I met at uh, the Full Circle event in 2023 who came up to me and said, hey, are you Rebecca? And I said, yes. Oh, I definitely am. So, so, uh, so uh, Damien uh, came up to me and talked about how he had seen my videos about Batman v Superman and told me about um, why he likes Batman v Superman. So we're going to be talking about his uh, love of those films and uh, just film in general. So uh, that is uh, a, a goal of a series that I'm going to start uh, talking to a bunch of fans. So that is what we're going to do over at youtube.com slash duckmilkprod. I was also recently on Dave the Film Junkies vodka stream to talk about the Millie Alcock Supergirl casting. So if you'd like to check that out, visit youtube.com slash the film junkie. That's kind of hard to say. The <laughs> film junkie. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mojotastic. You can also find me as a co-host on the Legendary Ladies podcast, which you can also find all over the interwebs, including uh, YouTube at the Legendary Ladies, where we post our our shows that you can that you can watch uh, on Instagram at the Legendary Ladies on uh, Twitter at Legends underscore podcast, all those good places. Uh, we uh, are we have our next couple of episodes. We just talked about the Mean Girls the movie musical of the musical of the movie. Uh, <laughs> uh, and we are going to be talking about um, 
it, within the next couple of weeks, the uh, Amazon animated series that is also a musical uh, called Has Been Hotel. And we are also going to be talking about the movie Whiplash because uh, apparently neither Amy nor I had seen Whiplash. And, uh, you know, with Oscar season coming up, uh, Kat was like, oh, this is one of one of the Oscar movies I've really liked in the past. So. We were like, sure, why not? Let's uh, let's watch Whiplash. And I will tell you, that's an intense movie. That movie is intense. <laughs> uh, Melissa Benoist is in that, yes? She is in that. Uh, so fun Supergirl tie-in is that Melissa Benoist is in, is in Whiplash. She doesn't have a very big part. Uh, but she she's plays sort of like the love interest of uh, Miles Teller's character, um, who he like meets at the movie theater. Uh, and she's really cute in it. I've heard uh, a lot of good things. It was kind of, I don't know if it won Best Picture one time, but it was like a like an Oscar buzz, at least. It had some buzz. Yeah, I don't know if it was nominated. It might have been nominated for Best Picture. I know J.K. Simmons, I believe, won for Supporting Actor, and he should have because he was crazy in that, absolutely out of his mind in that movie, and very, very good uh, as an actor, and it really made me dislike that character so so intensely. <laughs> that he played <laughs> yeah i've i've heard that it's a well-made film a lot of people seem to uh, like it so that's cool that you're checking that out um i will not be watching has been hotel uh I, it, it gives me uh adult swim vibes and i'm not <laughs> mr pickles vibes it's it's giving me mr pickles vibes uh there was another show in adult swim that was like um your pretty face is going to hell that was another one Turn- oh I- Turns out that that guy who made that show uh, is a Satanist. So that explains a lot. <laughs> He's so, like, this is, this is what I'm into. <laughs> uh, sometimes it was. Sometimes I would have to work on that show, too. And it, uh, it like Mr. Pickles, made me physically ill. But every now like- and then. Because it, it was kind of like a like a like an office sitcom set in hell. And so it, <laughs> so sometimes it would be funny in terms of like the office portions of it. But. Oh, I had to work on some real stinkers uh, when I worked at Turner. Uh, things I could wa- would like to wash out of my brain. Uh, but uh, so has been hotel. I don't think I will be checking out. But uh, I, I wish you the best in podcasting. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It, it, it's a, I wa- I've, I watched the pilot and it's uh, I mean, it is based in like it, she's running a hotel in hell. Um, and it's. it's <laughs> It's pretty it's like, you know, people are cursing and there's bad things happening, but it's also like kind of an upbeat, cheery musical. The tone's real weird. Um, <laughs> I might check out some more episodes just to see like what happens. It's like one of those things where you watch the pilot and you're like, what is this? <laughs> and it's like that like curiosity gap gets you where you're like, I gotta know, I gotta know what this is. Like if I don't know after the end of episode one, sometimes I'm annoyed and sometimes I'm like, all right episode two (laughs) you got me well you'll have to uh, i guess uh fill me in on it because i don't think (laughs) i'll be we will report back from the trenches (laughs) (laughs) that's a no for me but uh but i'm sure the legendary ladies will tackle it with uh some some great spirit behind (laughs) it all right well i think that's going to do it for this episode of supergirl radio but until next time i'm still rebecca johnson and I'm still Morgan Glennon. And this is perhaps still drug Drogon. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're not really sure. We know this is Daenerys. We, we're not so sure about this little guy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we'd, we'd all like you to thank you for joining us for this pilot pod. 
McGurk! I Do love not typing. mess with my Google Docs, Meeksy. Supergirl Radio is going live every night of the week. How do you <laughs> like it? Is being, becoming a human burrito a plus or a minus? I don't know. It does seem snug. I mean, they say you are what you eat. Kira. I love that. So I do a podcast called Supergirl Radio, and one of our segments is Lena Luther Boardroom or Ballroom. Because really? She looks like a boss in this coat. Nasty Luther, like a different Luther? It's not just Lena being mean? No. <laughs> Helen Slater here. So fun to know that you're hosting a podcast called Supergirl Radio. Yeah!